0: for tonight. You guys can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be in verses 17 through 19. We're looking at a message tonight entitled, The Faith Test. Uh, the Faith Test. Now, who's good at taking tests? Who's a good test taker? Raise your hand. So raise your hand if you are, you're like pretty good at school, but tests are like hard for you. Raise your hand. Okay, for sure. There's always, there's always some. Right. As being a student, taking a test, taking a test is a normal part of life. But have you ever thought about the purpose of why you have to take so many tests in school? Now, some of you might just be like, well, because my teacher hates me. Uh, And for some of you, for some of you, that teacher is your mom. So you better not say that. Okay. Now, you know that those tests are not just for your grade. Right. They're not just for your grade. And they're not just for you to pass the class. Tests are designed for your benefit. If there was no tests, you would never know if you really knew the subject. You see, tests are not for the benefit of the teacher. The teacher still gets paid whether you get an A or whether you get an F. Uh, that, is, that, is, that will be then beneficial or non-beneficial to you and to you alone. It's for your benefit Your growth. And even if you don't do good on a test, you can still benefit from realizing this is where I lack. This is now what I need to work on. And today, we will find out that the faith tests that we go through in life are not for God to determine whether we really trust Him or we really have our faith in Him, but it's for us to see where our faith really lies. Now, we've been going through this series in the Hall of Faith through Hebrews 11, and we have now seen two out of three main faith events in Abraham's life. And we now come to the greatest faith event of all, the greatest test of faith that is seen in all of Scripture. It is by far the hardest of God's tests of Abraham's faith uh, that like never before. And so this is the big idea for the day. Uh, this is the big idea. Now, you've heard me quote this before. It's hard to pin the origin of this quote. Uh, and just when we were talking about faith a few weeks ago on a Sunday, I, I quoted this. Um, Greg Laurie likes to quote this a lot. You see Warren Wiersbe, who I, you see that I quote him a lot as well. Uh, but it's good. And it's the fact that this, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's true. We would never get on an airplane that never went through the safety tests, right? Imagine that you're getting on an airplane and there's a sign that says, caution, this airplane has never flown before or ever been tested. That would not be a plane that you would want to go on. Imagine a roller coaster that never actually had people on it. And like, oh yeah, it's totally fine. How do you know? I don't know, but you should try it. No, you would want it to be tested. And same with our faith. A faith... That cannot be tested, meaning when it goes through something challenging, if it crumbles, it shows that there was really no faith at all. Now, you might say that you have faith. For many of you, you've grown up and you said, of course, I've always believed in Jesus. Yeah, but has your faith ever been challenged? Has it ever been put to a test and able to stand the difficulties of life? Some of you have not yet experienced that. But listen, the tests of life are coming, and at times, God will allow these faith tests to happen, not so he knows, because God knows all things, but so that you know where you stand in your relationship with him. And so let's read Hebrews 11. We'll start in verse 17, and we'll read down to verse 19. This is the third and final faith event that's mentioned in the life of Abraham, or also known as Father Abraham the father of faith. Verse 17, you guys have your Bibles open? Look with me there, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offer up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, "In Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative manner sense. Let's pray together. Father God, as we look at this well-known story of Abraham and Isaac, of you asking Abraham to do something truly unthinkable, something that seems like it's against your nature, and yet it was all a test. God, we thank you that for us in this room, we're never going to have to go through this this exact test, but there's going to be others There's going to be trials and difficulties that you allow in our life. God, we pray that today as the example of Abraham is set, would we follow in his footsteps? Would we also walk by faith? And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So I don't want you to turn there for the sake of time. We got a lot going on, but I want you to note down the location of this story, so the author of Hebrews references the story that comes out of Genesis 22. Now when I say story it's not make-believe it was a historical account. What we're about to uh, dive into actually happened and as you find as you come to Genesis 22 at this time Abraham is very old and I want to just kind of summarize the story rather than reading the large passage so that we can get to our uh, text in Hebrews. So. By this time, Genesis 22, note it down, he's old. He's really old. He was old before, and now he's really, really old, okay? He was old when he had Isaac, but now Isaac is 30 to 33 years old. Most people agree somewhere in that area. We know that in the very next chapter, chapter 23, that's when Sarah, his wife, passes away and moves on to eternity. And so we know this is, this is the end time for Abraham, and we see that the chapter opens up. God audibly calls to Abraham and he responds. He says, here I am. God then proceeds to tell Abraham to take his only son, who he loves, to the land of Moriah and to offer him, Isaac, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. Now, what's remarkable is that the text gives us nothing of Abraham's response other than obedience. Genesis 22 says that he didn't question, he didn't complain, and he didn't debate. He goes without delay. It simply says, if you go back and read this story, which if you've never read it, you got to, that the next morning after this command comes, that Abraham gets up early, he gets things ready, and he heads to Moriah. It was a three-day journey, And when he got there, he told the young men, the servants who were with him, to stay back with the donkey as him and his son Isaac that they go and worship. And at this point, Abraham assures his servants that they would return. He says to them, we, he says Abraham and Isaac, though he knew what God asked them to do, he says, we will come back to you. And so they headed up the mountain of Moriah. And on the way, the Bible records that Isaac sees the wood. He sees what they had to start with the fire, but knows that they don't have a lamb with them for the sacrifice, right? All Abraham told Isaac is that we are going to go and worship God by sacrifice. And so he asks Abraham, his dad, he says, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham then assures him that God will provide for himself a burnt offering. And when they get to the place that God told Abraham to go, Abraham builds an altar. Now remember that Isaac is anywhere between 30 and 33 years old is our best guesstimate, if you will. And so Abraham builds the altar and he ties Isaac up on the altar. Now this time, Abraham is not just old, he's old, old. He's very old. He was old when we first met him. He was like 70. And then then he was like 100 when he had Isaac. Now he's like 130 years old and Isaac is in his prime. And so this tells us that Isaac got up on the altar willingly. Abraham tied him down, but he got there willingly. Then the Bible records that Abraham reaches for his knife, And stretches out his arm to kill his son Isaac. And at that exact moment before the knife came down, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord calls to him. The angel of the Lord is what we call a pre-incarnate Christ. It was Jesus before he was born. Remember, Bethlehem was not Jesus' beginning. He existed beforehand. And we see him in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. At this point, the angel of the Lord, who we know is Jesus, tells Abraham not to harm Isaac in any way. He told him that now he knows that he fears God since he didn't withhold his only son from him. And so because of Abraham's steadfast faith, he feared God and he obeyed God. Now with that in mind, I wanna read what we already read in chapter 11 of Hebrews, once more. That's the story. That's what's being referred. Let's read again verses 17, 18, and 19 that will set the tone for our time. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. And then notice verse 19, sp- pay special attention because Abraham concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. Now, by this time in Abraham's life, he was no spring chicken. This wasn't his first rodeo. He wasn't the new kid on the block. He was far from perfect, but Abraham had experience. He was seasoned. Abraham had already trusted God with the where when he was called out of of the Chaldees. Abraham trusted God with the how when it came to having his son Isaac with Sarah being a hundred years old. Now Abraham trusted God with the why when God asked him to do the unthinkable. Now this really is the ultimate test of faith that we see anywhere in the Bible. But it's important for us to note that we don't see anything else like this in the word of God. This is altogether unique within scripture. And so because of that fact, it would not be good for us to take this as a pattern that God will do with us. You can be assured that God will never ask you to kill someone in your family. (laughs) You can be assured of that. So we don't take this as a pattern of, oh man, when God tells me, I better do it. No, that's probably Satan and you should not listen, okay? So we don't take it as a pattern, but we can draw some important principles that God would want us to learn. Now, before we really begin to unpack what this means for us as New Testament believers, um, it's important that we distinguish the difference between a test and a temptation, Okay, so if you're taking notes, I want you to just write somewhere in your paper, test versus temptation. Now, the word tested there in verse 17, by faith, when Abraham was tested, that word can also be translated in other portions of the Bible as temptation. Now, how do we distinguish between which, which concept is being talked about? They are different. A test and a temptation are different we are able to always distinguish the difference based upon the context. Okay, let me give you an example. In James chapter 1, verse 2, sorry, uh, verse 3, and then verse 13, they use actually the same word. So in Greek, the word testing in verse 3 and the word temptation is the same. But we know that they mean different things based upon context. For example, It says, knowing that the testing of your faith, these are trials, they produce patience or endurance. But then in verse 13, James makes sure to say that, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. We can know as a matter of fact that when we experience temptation to sin, that is not coming from God. You guys hear me? Whenever you're tempted to sin, don't think that that God has anything to do with that, but rather our own desires and the enticement of the enemy. However, we can know that whatever the origin of the trials or difficulties in our life, that regardless of where it's coming from, God will use it. The origin does not matter as much as our response. You see, everything that we experience passes through the filtration of God's hands, whether he intended it, sometimes God does, or he allowed it. We must remember, this is what I want you to write down, everything in our lives is father filtered, everything. Whether he designed this to be a test of faith, and it's hard to discern, or God simply allows, right, even what we see with Job, He allows the enemy to do what he wants. But either way, God uses it. And so we don't need to figure out, is this, did God, God allowed it. It was father filtered through his hands. And so we must then respond in faith. Though Abraham was uniquely tested, we do know that God does test his people. Here's some examples. Deuteronomy 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 2. Chapter 8, verse 2. God had led the children of Israel through the desert wilderness for how many years? Does anyone know? 40. Forty. Forty. Verse 2 says, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Why would God take so long? There's a few reasons, but here is one of them. To humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now that's one long test, a 40-year test. Imagine taking a test for 40 years. But it wasn't for God. It wasn't so that God would know. God doesn't ever learn anything new. And so this test, say for the children of Israel, Anna, stop talking, even for the children of Israel, this was a test, but it was for the people. What about, check out Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. When the children of Israel complained against Moses in the wilderness, God told Moses this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may, what does he say? Test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, God knows in advance our actions. The test is for our benefit. Because sometimes, listen, we don't know where we stand. We think, of course, I would trust Jesus to the end. Remember what Peter said? Lord, I will never deny you. And what happened just a handful of days later? He denied him not just once, but three times. Sometimes we don't even know what's in our own heart. And so God uses these tests to reveal it to us. Psalm 11 verse 5 says the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. See, the testing of God is a privilege for the righteous. Listen, God cares enough to be so involved that he puts us to the test. If he didn't care, then he wouldn't pay any attention. He wouldn't care about testing us in any way. Psalm 66, verse 10 through 12, the Bible says, for you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Why does God test you to refine you And to bring you to rich fulfillment. In the New Testament, Jesus, we see him often testing his disciples that they might grow in their faith. Whether it was with a storm or whether it was with food, God was walking these men through many tests of faith. When feeding the 5,000, John gives us insight into Jesus' intentions. John chapter six, notice on the screen. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he, said, he th- but this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Think about it. Jesus poses a question to Philip not because he didn't know the answer, but it was a test. Was Philip going to respond in faith or respond in fear? We looked at this several Sundays ago in 1 Peter chapter 1, where we learn that God allows us to go through trials, that the genuineness of our faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, verse 7, though it is tested by fire, right? May be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, God knows your heart. The Bible says that he's the only one that weighs or tests the heart. He knows, but so often our heart deceives us. We think, of course, I'm going to trust Jesus. God, I will follow you all the way. And we have good intentions. Sometimes God needs to then apply a little bit of pressure and he said, in a sense, turn up the heat just a little bit that we might see, oh, maybe I'm, maybe my faith is not as strong as I thought it was. And so he uses this to strengthen us for what is ahead. You know, when I sold my car a few years ago, I sold it on offer up. And uh, if you ever do offer up, you always want to deal with cash, right? You, people, you don't want to, you, just, you don't want to say, oh, yeah, just Venmo me later. Like, that's not a thing, okay? They'll, they'll rob you blind. And so you always want cash. And so I remember it was going to be a few thousand dollars. And so uh, uh, Haley, my awesome wife, she's like, you need to buy a money pen. And I was like, a money what? And she said, a money pen. There are these pens that you can get, that you take, and, you, and, and then you, you, you slide it across a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill or whatever it might be. And if it turns a certain color, it's fake. If it turns this other color, it's real. And so you can buy them off Amazon. I bought a pack. I only used it this once and haven't used it since because now I barely even have cash. But I remember taking it and and I just just swiped it off a few of the, the $100 bills that I was given. This was to test the genuineness of the cash that was given. Because remember, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so imagine if she said, well, don't worry about the dollar bills. Like they're, they're fine. Like that would, that, I, I don't know her. And so I need to test it. I need to see if it's legitimate. Or even, you guys know that NBA jam game that we have in there? So Tay and I uh, found a great deal on OfferUp a few months ago when we, when we got it. It was brand new. We drove out to Long Beach uh, to pick it up a few months ago. And uh, what do you think we got, what do you think we did when we got to the house? Did we just take it and put it in the truck and leave? What did we do? Yeah, we plugged it in, we turned it on and we played. Now we didn't play like a whole game, but we made sure it was legit. We, we, we had to put it to the test to make sure it was genuine. And so with that type of mentality established, let's go back to Abraham. What are some things that we can learn? From Abraham's faith test as we live our life. The great thing about this story Abraham had some highs and he had some lows. This one was a high. He did well, he passed with flying colors. God had brought Abraham to a point in his life that he had to, that he now had this full trust in God regardless of how crazy the situation was. So I want you to write these two things. These are the two lessons that I believe God has for us today regarding Abraham's faith test. Number one, we see that Abraham trusted without delay. That's really clear. If you go read Genesis 22, God says go. He does, no response is recorded other than the fact that the next morning he got up he packed, he got his servants, he got the wood, he got the fire. He said, Isaac, we're going. He said, Sarah, we'll see you later. And they went. And they traveled for three days. He didn't lollygag. We don't see excuses. Now, he, he may have, but the text doesn't say. And so he trusted without delay. But secondly, Abraham trusted all the way. The test indicates to us that Abraham was ready to do exactly what God had commanded, now, more than likely, this didn't make any sense to Abraham. He couldn't figure out, why would God ask me to kill the son that I've waited for for so long? I waited for 25 years for this son. He was a miracle. I was 100 years old when I had him in the first place. He's been now been living for 30 years. I'm going to die soon, and you want me to kill him? But he trusted without delay, and he trusted all the way. I want to read it to you. It's not going to be on the screen, but I just want you to listen closely. If you've got to close your eyes, you can do that. But James chapter 2, James has a couple of things to say about Abraham. Listen closely. He says, But do you know, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith? Was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see, then, that that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, this act was not what saved Abraham, he was saved before. This was simply the evidence showing that he really did trust God. It was his faith that enabled the work, that enabled the work. We must remember that this test was not for God. The test was not for the test giver. It was for the test taker. It was for Abraham's growth and benefit. This was the last test of faith for Abraham. After this, we don't see any more. Why? Because there was no more tests needed. Abraham now had a point where he knew where he stood with the Lord. His loyalty was clear, and his trust was in the Lord. Now, our text gives us a certain emphasis on Isaac. Okay, hey, look back in your Bibles and look there in our verses. He calls him the only, his only begotten son. Begotten. What verse comes to mind when you think of begotten son? Of course, John 3.16. And there's a clear connection here. There's a clear illustration that we'll get to not too far from now. But the only begotten, this is the idea. Not only is he the only But the only begotten, when you put those two words next to each other, what is seeking to be communicated is that he was unique, radically distinctive, and without equal. Abraham had other children. Did you know that? But Isaac was uniquely his. He had another son. We know at least one. His name was Ishmael. Now, it wasn't with Sarah. Remember, it was with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. Wild situation, highly inappropriate and uh, not pleasing to God. But Ishmael was very different than Isaac. Isaac was the promised son. Isaac was what Abraham held most dear to his heart. Isaac represented the promises of God to Abraham. He was the heir of everything in Abraham's life. And this is what makes this test of God so significant. God asked Abraham to give up the most precious thing in his life. And Abraham conceded. Abraham was willing. If Abraham was willing to do this, then there was nothing that Abraham was holding back from God. He was all in. And you see, that's the purpose of these faith tests that you will be put through. God wants to get you a place where you're all in for him. You know, sometimes we follow Jesus, but we have something we really care about. And that's okay. It's not bad. But what if God asked you to give it up? What if it was a person or a dream or a goal? What if your Lord, who you call king, who you call master, who you say calls the shots, what if he asked you to give it up? The question is not so much that God wants you to, but What are you holding on to that you say, God, I would do everything you say, but if you ask me to do this, I'm out. God wants us to get to a place where there's nothing in between, where there's nothing we put even relatively close to him. Right, an idol is something that we put either at the same level or above God in our life, or maybe even a little bit lower. God wants to have a unique place in our life, and he's willing to do whatever needs to be done to get us to that point. For Abraham, it was kind of wild. Think about this for a moment. Put yourself in Abraham's sandals. Think about it. What was it like for him getting ready for this trip? God tells him something, kill your son excuse me, sacrifice him to me. Worship me by killing your son. You mean like Ishmael? (laughs) No, no, Isaac, your (laughs) promised son. Think about what it was like for him to get up that morning. I don't know how they got up. Because they didn't have clocks. I'm sure it was just like the sun or rooster or whatever. But he gets up and he begins to get ready. He begins to gather the wood. He gets the servants. He says, hey, we're going on a trip. Three days it's going to take. We need food, right? Think about, and think about the process. Think about the three days. And all he's thinking about is, I'm going to kill my son. And God's asked me to do it. What was it like to finally ascend the mountain? What was it like to build the altar or to now then take that knife? And he's saying, all right, God, what, what are you going to? And of course, at the last moment, God stopped him. Abraham did not understand the why in the moment. If you could have a little interview with him and you say, Abraham, you say, Abraham, what, what's going on in your head? Why do you think God's doing this? no clue. There's no way Abraham knew the why. Why would God ask him to do this? God wasn't for human sacrifice. Abraham knew that. This seemed to go against the very nature of God and God's command seemed to go against God's promise. Did you guys hear me? God's command seemed to go against God's promise. And I am sure that in the midst of, of it, there was confusion in the mind of Abraham. There were questions. Yet notice, Abraham's confusion and his questions didn't stop him from trusting and obeying God. David Guzik, Bible commentator, says this When Abraham was confronted with a promise and a command from God, which seemed to contradict each other, he did what we should all do. He obeyed the command. And let God take care of the promise. God was more than able to do this. And there will be moments in life where you say, God, but you promised. And it'll be clear what God is calling you to do. And you don't understand how God is going to rectify this situation. How is he going to make sense of this? Our job is not to question God, though he is open to questions. You know the difference? God doesn't say you can question me. God says you can ask me questions. He says, come, let us reason together. But there is a difference between questions for God and questioning God. And we should trust him. We should trust him like Abraham. Notice verse 19. He says, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead check this out. This is the big one. How did Abraham get through that time? How did he really make it all the way through the three days of journeying up the mountain, building the altar? How could someone go, go through with it? It's because he came to a conclusion. This word conclusion means to consider. It means to make a decisive and carefully reasoned act. Meaning Abraham looked back on his 130 years, and he saw the faithfulness of God. He had experience to draw from. And it was clear that he then was gonna trust God with this decision. Now, how was Abraham able to pass the test? It's because Abraham looked at God's promise and knew that he would fulfill his word. So much so, check this out, look in your Bibles. What was this conclusion he came to? He concluded that, listen, let's say the angel of the Lord didn't stop him. Let's say Abraham takes that knife and plunges it into the chest of his only begotten son. Listen, if he did that, Abraham had already concluded that God would then raise him from the dead. That's why he said to his servants, he didn't say, and I will come back to you. He said, we will come back to you. He knew that he was not leaving that mountain without Isaac. Whether he was gonna be dead and then raised again, he trusted that God not only was gonna be faithful to his promise, but listen, he was gonna have the power to fulfill it. He didn't know the why, but he did know the who. And listen, there's gonna be times in your life, everyone look at me, where you cannot conclude the why. Meaning you you take the situation that's happening in life and you're like, "I, I see who God is that he says it in the word. And I'm looking at the situation and those things don't match up in my perspective. That's where when you don't know the why, you make sure you know the who. Because when you know the who, when you know how good and loving and faithful God is, you're gonna come to this then conclusion that you say, God, I don't get it, but I'll trust you. Proverbs 3, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all in. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So often in our life we ask the question why. We would do anything to get the answer to that. Yet usually, listen, it's the wrong question to ask. It shows our lack in trust, lack of trust in God. And rather than asking God why, we should be asking God what. What do you want me to do? Because the why, it's clear you ain't given it. And so God, what? What do you want me to do? Do you guys know that wind makes trees stronger? It's really random, but did you know that? Wind makes trees stronger. You want to know how they came to that conclusion? There was a great experiment that was done in the early 1980s in the desert called the biodome. It was an exercise to create the perfect living environment for human beings, plant and animal life a huge glass dome was constructed and an artificial controlled environment was created with purified air, water, filtered light, and so on, offering the perfect growing conditions for trees, fruits, and vegetables, and humans. People lived in the biodome for many months at a time, And it was wonderful because everything seemed to be doing so well, with one exception. When the trees that were planted grew to be a certain height, they would just begin to topple over. They couldn't figure out why. It baffled scientists until one day they realized that the one natural element that they forgot to recreate in the biodome was wind. They found out that trees need wind required to blow against them, which in turn causes their root systems to grow deeper into the soil, which in turn supports the tree as it grows taller. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. A tree could only grow to a certain height Without having some resistance. And you see, I think in a similar way, how trees grow stronger by wind, you will grow stronger by the trials that God allows in your life. In a sense, the roots of your faith will begin to grow deeper, and you will begin to, in a way, grow taller. Ultimately, God's going to use all things in our life and use it for our good and his purposes. But we must remember that all the things we experience are father filtered. And so, in turn, we're to trust our good and heavenly Father with the wise. And like Abraham, we are to obey without delay and we are to obey all the way. Make sense? Now it's impossible for us to read this story of Genesis 22 and talk about this great time of testing. There's lots of things to pull from it without a doubt, but it's impossible for us to talk about this and miss the imagery and foreshadowing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we begin to wrap it up, I want you to think about Isaac and I want you to think about some similarities between Isaac and Jesus See, Jesus was described in Scripture, John three sixteen, as the only begotten son of God. Isaac was described as the only begotten son of Abraham. Jesus was about the same age as Isaac when he began his ministry and ultimately when he died at 33 and a half. Jesus bore the weight of the cross, right? He had to carry his cross to the point of the mountain. And Isaac... Guess what he was carrying up the mountain? The wood. Jesus was willing to obey the father's lead and willingly make himself a sacrifice that was innocent. It was God who would ultimately provide for himself a lamb. The biggest connection, guys, is that on that very same mountain, the mountains of Moriah would later become Jerusalem, and it would be on Golgotha, outside of the city, a couple thousand years later, that not the only begotten son of Abraham, but the only begotten son of God would be offered up once for all through the line of Abraham. God would provide himself a sacrifice and it would not be Isaac. It would not be me. It would not be you. It would be Jesus. And the fact that Abraham was willing to give up his only begotten son shows us that he held nothing back from God. And in a similar way, God, the father has given us his son. And so what else does he hold back from us? Romans eight thirty two says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God has given us the most precious thing to him. And it's not a thing, it's himself. It's his son, Jesus. And so we should praise God tonight that we don't need to prepare a sacrifice for our sins, but that God provided himself a sacrifice that was Jesus hanging on the cross. And so as much as this story is about how God tests the faith of those who follow him, And how Abraham responded, at the end of the day, guys, the Bible is all about Jesus. And that's where God wants to take you every time. He wants to take you back to the cross. He wants to take you back to the Christ. And so may you and I fully lean in and trust God with the where, the how, the when, and the why's. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, Just are so grateful, Lord, for what Jesus did on the mountains of Moriah that would then be Golgotha, the place of the skull. Just outside the city gates that Jesus would become that lamb that it was Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, who would stop Abraham because he knew that just a couple thousand years later that he would die. Isaac didn't need to. And Lord, we know that Jesus was the only one that was gonna be able to with any impact. It would be the spotless, perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world And so, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice. And God, would you, Lord, with the, the trials of life as the wind against the trees, God, would you help our roots to go deep? God, I pray for these students that their faith would not be surface level. God, because I know life will come. I know you're gonna allow through your filtration, In our lives, God, you will allow things to happen. And God, I pray in those moments that all of us would revert back and think about what Abraham did. He didn't understand all the details, but he knew the who. And it was you who asked him. And so it was you who he would obey without delay. It was you who he would obey all the way. And God, would you help us to do the same with the small, the big, and every decision that we make? Would we just determine now to trust you? And so, God, we pray as we worship tonight that you would draw us close, that you would draw us deep, that we not, that we wouldn't be like the seed that fell, Lord, by the wayside, or the seed that fell upon the rock that had no root. And so when the sun came up, it scorched the seed and withered away. Would you help us tonight to be the good soil in which there was produced a hundredfold, a hundred times what would be expected. God, we know that you have called us and appointed us that we might bear fruit in our life and that the fruit would last. And so God, would you help us to live a life of just trusting you? And so we look to you now, And we worship you with all of our hearts. God, help us to be all in for Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.